Hello, my warrior loves. Welcome to Beyond Body, a mini series where we are exploring body image and how to change the internal and external scripts that influence the way you think and feel about your own body. Now, subscribe and follow along to hear real life stories and experiences on the path to body image healing. Now, if body image is holding you back from deeper intimacy, connection, and confidence, Beyond Body may be just what you need. Now, beyond this show, Beyond Body is an upcoming six-month body image accelerator program designed for middle-aged women who want to find peace with their body and experience greater life fulfillment as they age. Now, if this sounds like you, request an invite to apply for Beyond Body at recoverywarriors.com slash beyond. And today we're going to be talking about the different costs associated with body dissatisfaction to, you know, shed some light on the reality of societal beauty ideals and their impact on our health and our wealth. We believe here at Recovery Warriors that knowledge is power and talking about this can be helpful for you to take into account on your own healing journey. And along for our Beyond Body exploration here, I have Andrea Wells, the host of Recover Strong. So Andrea, thank you for being here today to shed some light on the cost of body dissatisfaction. Of course. I'm so happy to be here and to break this down for the listener. I know in my own experience, just kind of getting some of this information has brought me really helpful perspective that has helped me along with my healing journey. And I and I hope I can do the same for others. It's uh, We're going to highlight some interesting things here. Yeah. So we broke it down into the cost of care, the cost of missed opportunities, and the cost of keeping up. So we're going to go through all three of these, uh, each of these kind of segments here. And Andrea, I'm going to turn it over to you for the cost of care because Andrea is like our lead researcher. At <laughs> and she just <laughs> dug up so much statistics. And I think these are really like these numbers are important to hear because they they leave an impact to be like, wow, yeah. okay, this this is real. This is real. There's a, an actual uh, number attached to to this. Um, and but I guess before we dive in. Looking at, you know, body image, bad body image, body dissatisfaction, that is something that we see so interwoven with an eating disorder, right? This feeling of not being good enough in the skin you're in or just not wanting to accept your natural body size and shape or trying to control it. So this is when we look at body dissatisfaction. Do you have any anything else you want to say about body dissatisfaction, Andrea, like at the top before we dive into the costs that are associated with it? Um, yeah, I just want to offer before we dive into this, like hope for change. Like I think some of these numbers may or may not be a rude awakening. Um, but again, the perspective can be helpful and just know that you can work to find more body satisfaction and have a better relationship with yourself and your body. So we'll, we'll start off with some hope in there as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's get dive into the cost of care. Okay. I am the lead researcher. I'm adding that to my resume. <laughs> Thank you, Jessica. <laughs> Don't go for another job. <laughs> no. <laughs> this is my dream job. I would never. Um, okay. So there was a study that was done with Dove in partnership with Harvard. And it was specifically on the cost of body dissatisfaction. And overall, they found that body dissatisfaction cost the U.S. economy $305 billion per year. And that is made up of $84 billion in financial costs and 20, $221 billion in lost well-being each year. That is a lot of money. And that that's like people all around the nation. We're talking like missed days from work or missed career opportunities. Like these things all add up 
to financial mm-hmm. costs. And that's what we're talking about in the show, right? Financial costs and well-being. Like it's hard to put a monetary value on your well-being, but at the end of the day, it's like how how are you feeling in your life? What are you experiencing in your life? What are you held back by? Yeah. Yeah. And there's also uh, more specifically, body dissatisfaction and appearance-based discrimination can increase the chances that someone will develop depression or an eating disorder. And then furthermore, when we're getting into costs, particularly with an eating disorder, the University of California, San Diego, which is uh, one of the leading eating disorder treatment centers. I know, Jessica, you went there, right? For treatment? I'm an alumna. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I went there for treatment. I went there for grad school. I went there for undergrad. Oh, nice. Yeah, I know. I was yeah. reading that. I'm like, that's Jessica's school. Um, mm-hmm. So they the did a study. Oh, Triton? Sorry. Oh, I didn't know like that. Okay, cool. It was like <laughs> Neptune. It's it's like the Triton, King Triton. I love the that's Little cute. Mermaid. So, I was going to yeah, say that's like bit. the Little Mermaid. Okay. I know. Perfect. Okay. So they estimated that the average eating disorder treatment episode cost $80,000. And they used the term episode because, as we know, recovery is – it's the long game. It's not linear. So that's going by episode. And a Project Heal did a study that found that full healing of an eating disorder takes at least two years and an average of $250,000. So that's like long term over time. And of course, those costs can be different for everyone. These are averages, but like, woo, those are some yeah. big numbers. Those are some big costs. Those are big checks to be writing. And I mean, for a lot of this, yeah. this is uh, insurance companies. So, but not everybody's privileged to have insurance companies that can pay for this or have, you know, the right contracts. So that, that's like, that's, that's big numbers there. Um, yeah. You know, I was fortunate where my, my coverage was, you know, by my college. So I didn't have to pay for my intensive outpatient. I'm fortunate as well to have good coverage for the care that I received. Um, I cannot imagine. Like, like I, I live in the U.S. now, so I was in Canada when I went through treatment. It was a totally different healthcare system. And I think of it now, I'm like, I have what's considered good insurance, and I still have so many like out-of-pocket health costs. I can't imagine trying to like pay for your, a therapist or your copay or your deductible for a treatment center, even if you do have some coverage. Like, it's not always full. So that's a tough one. And there's other things out of pocket that you can pay for. Like we're, we're talking about like, yeah, intensive, like 30 day treatment that can be tens of thousands of dollars, but other costs add up over time. Like you're, if you're paying for a therapist or a dietitian or prescriptions, medical doctor, like there's different levels of care. There's different costs. They may or may not be coming directly out of your pocket. Um, God, yeah, it adds up. I found it interesting in that report you dug up with uh, in conjunction with Harvard and Dove that they they said that the costs and effects of toxic beauty standards are uh, actual public health crisis. And some of these standards, uh, like what they're leading to is anxiety, depression, as we mentioned, eating disorders, which are so interwoven right into anxiety, depression, like there can be a behavioral manifestation of anxiety, depression, which I believe even deeper can be a root of trauma, uh, low self-esteem, self-harm, suicide, mood disorders, post-traumatic stress, social phobia, substance abuse, healthcare avoidance. I mean, these are all the topics that we cover on the show. These are the stories that we hear people talk about in their, you know, in their recovery story. Uh, Andrea, I know that you've talked about a lot of these issues, me as well, that get wrapped into then our body becoming the problem, right? Our body becoming where we're taking out all of this self-worth issues, right? Or self-esteem issues. And it becomes the battleground for that because of these unrealistic beauty standards that are impossible to meet. And 
will never be met, even if they're met for a, a brief period of time. <laughs> it's fleeting. <laughs> it will never stay. <laughs> so, yeah, that's yeah. the that's the illusory chase of it all. Yeah. And even if you do meet it, what it's still not your worth, whether you meet these things or not. It's not mm-hmm. who you are. Yeah. But it can be hard to, you know, leave that when we've been so socially conditioned from yeah. a young age from like if you think about like the the media that you're consuming and i my my heart breaks for children now growing up with social media as their like primary like introduction into connection with other like that's got to be really hard cuz yeah. when we were growing up it was just commercials and yeah we well, had about 2 to 3 minutes of commercials but like this is a big difference it's a this is a really interesting social experiment and there's a lot of, you know, that's a whole nother show we could actually do. Yeah. On it's going to be into that a little bit. We're doing um, some series. I'm going to share a little bit of my body image story in a, our next episode of Beyond Body. And I was thinking about that. We'll talk about that a bit because I'm thinking about the influences I had growing up as a millennial, as a kid in the 90s and 2000s. And I'm like, like, what is it even like for the generation now? It's like, well, it's filters, it's social media. Like, I think it's just, I think it's still just as prevalent between generations. It just presents differently yeah uh i think there definitely is an increase in body dissatisfaction earlier in age now but even mm, the numbers that we've sad. seen for it's like 91 percent of girls the age of 10 are you know looking at their weight in, in a negative light right believing that they should lose weight i mean that's that is really so sad large percentage of being like i'm not thin enough because of all the media that i'm consuming the pictures i'm seeing the magazines, the media, right? The yeah, movies, the messages you the hear. The TV shows. Mm-hmm. That I'm like, I'm like trying not to cry. I think that's really sad because like I was a kid who felt that way and I don't think any child should be giving a damn about that. <laughs> should just be being a kid. And it's like, mm-hmm. it's, it's heartbreaking that it starts so freaking young and mm-hmm. it really gets us deep from an early age. Right? It like just like, gets in you like deeply woven in, into like your whole belief system, right? And so that's what we're looking at, like how to shift these internal external because it's often fed by these external sources, but then it gets internalized. And then that's yeah. when it becomes much more insidious because you just can take it out on yourself, believing this is your a problem with yourself, right? And it, it's it's deeper than that. And knowing that we're not alone in it is such a huge thing, right? That there is this you know, common humanity, which is an aspect of self-compassion, is that other people are struggling with this and feeling the same thing, feeling dissatisfied in their body, not measuring up to the ideal. Yeah. You feel like you're the problem, but you're not. But we'll get into that. We'll get into that. <laughs> and I guess we had uh, here, you know, costs where we look like with that when you are needing to seek treatment. And we're not saying this is to not seek treatment at all, right? We're saying that this is like bigger picture. Like, wow, this does have a big cost on an individual and uh, on society, like at a, a larger yeah. aspect with therapy and dietitians and medical doctors and prescriptions and de- different levels of care that there is just a lot that goes into it. We do fully support getting the right level of care for you where you're at, and there's no judgment in that. And you're deserving. You're deserving and worthy of this care, no matter what it costs. If you get whatever care you feel you need that you have access to, please, you deserve Mm -hmm. it. You need it. 
I always like to look at it like with like, you know, someone who has cancer, you're not going to be like, mm, sorry, like you don't deserve it. Like, yeah. you're like, you have this, like, let's get, let's, let's work on this, you know? And if it comes back, because sometimes it does, well, let's mm-hmm. get it again, you know? Uh, and so, yeah, same thing I think can kind of be applied here to not judge yourself, right? You don't, yeah. Yeah. So that was our costs of care section. Pretty big numbers, though, that we saw. And and moving into the cost of missed opportunities, Andrea, I love that you list out a bunch that you found for yourself, and I had many similar ones. So what are some of the cost of missed opportunities that you found from body dissatisfaction? I felt like I was held back a lot in my career from body image, whether that be perceived or otherwise, you know, when you feel bad about yourself, you feel bad about your body. And as we're talking about, you know, I really internalized it and felt like I was the problem. I didn't go for like promotions or jobs that maybe I would have wanted to do if I had more confidence. Maybe I was overlooked those things because of my body size, because like size and appearance-based discrimination is a thing in the workplace. That's another part of the Dove and Harvard study that they covered as well. Um, so I, yeah, I felt held back. And as I've shared before, I've, I've had a period a few years where I didn't even like I wasn't capable of working full time because my mental health was so bad because of the impact of all these things like struggling with body image and trauma and not feeling worthy and just really struggling to get through the day let alone work a job that held me back in my career Um, I felt held back from a lot of true connection and like with friends like I have good friends I always have but I feel like when I was so scared of what, how people might perceive me or how I felt about myself with my body. It was like there, it prevented even deeper connection than I could have had. Um, particularly with romantic relationships, that was something where body image held me back a lot. So I missed out on the opportunity to maybe have like healthier, happier relationships earlier in my life because for so long I pursued relationships that could keep me safe at an arm's length. Like I could do, um, like long distance, like I don't have to be in person and show my body to people all the time, like long distance, or just men who are generally unavailable for any reason or another. Um, Like physical intimacy was hard for me because of my body image. I felt so bad about my body. And I couldn't like be intimate with someone without drinking alcohol. And that's also like getting in the way of a healthy relationship or a true connection. So I missed out on a lot there in what I could have had now. Like, I feel like I have a healthy, happy, sober relationship now. And I'm so glad that I do. And I had to do a lot of work to get here. But it's like, what what would have life been like if I could have had that sooner? And I I wouldn't change it. I love my husband. I love where I am now. But I, I can't help but feel sad for what I missed out on. And there was even a period where I felt so bad about my body from messages I see from I received from the world, from a parent, from myself. I just felt like my to be seen, to go out to the store, <laughs> like to go run an errand. I felt like, and I think this is really sad to say, but I felt like I was doing a disservice to the world by going out in it and having to subject people to looking at me, which is like really dark but and yeah. really sad. That's how I felt. So I would like, I would rarely go out. if, And again, if I did, I used alcohol to kind of overcome these fears or to get like liquid courage or care a little less. Um, and also there were times where my hatred for myself and my body just developed into self-harm. Like I would, I would cut myself. Um, I'd beat myself up like physically. Um, 
I felt like I had to punish myself. Like these, uh, my body image struggles got to some really dark, intense places at times. And it just, you know, it held me back from so much from peace, sobriety, healthier relationships with family, friends, romance, um, career. It held me back from a lot. And it's sad to think about. It is. And I'm in a really, I'm in a much different place now. And I'm so grateful for that. Um, But it's heavy. It's heavy to think about the the missed opportunities. (laughs) It is heavy. And yeah, I'm just so proud of you to see how far you have come to like reclaim your your personal happiness and fulfillment and not letting that hold you back. Not anymore. Yeah, no, like done with that. Like oof. Yeah. The fact yeah. that I'm on here like we're broadcasting live on YouTube and we're on, we're on a podcast <laughs> and like I'm letting the world see me when I literally used to just hide in my bedroom and be like, I don't know if I'm even worthy of going out to the drugstore and like buying some lotion right now because I'm too fat and ugly. Like, and now I'm just like, hey world, like <laughs> here I am living my life and I'm okay with that. And it's not, it, it was not easy to get here. It took years of healing. But God, I'm so grateful and I know that I am worthy. I know that you, dear listener, are worthy and I know that we can keep getting through this and keep healing and I have so much hope. (laughs) I love that. I found when I was kind of going through the costs for me, um, you know, I'm I'm always really into like numbers. Uh, So I, I do like to look at like, you know, 20 minutes a day. If you look at 20 minutes a day, that equates to 120 hours a year, which is three full work weeks. So that was like, if I look at the way body dissatisfaction held me back, I mean, I could ruminate, like just ruminate for 20 minutes in my journal, like probably even double that, just like ruminate about how much I wanted to change my body or the plan. Like, oh my gosh, I was going to plan my workout. I mean, I have all my journals, I keep them and they're so informational for me to understand like to get back to where I was at. Sometimes I, I love to go through these journals and I'm yeah, I find them very helpful. and to see the mindset and like the belief systems I had around exercise and like food and controlling it. I mean, I would spend probably at least a minimum of an hour a day like planning it out and, and measuring and monitoring. And, you know, that's like I said, 20 minutes is three full work weeks, right? So that's six full work weeks. That's like almost a whole summer that's spent like if you're thinking like off work, like literally just controlling my – yeah, um, that's nine actually, nine full work weeks. Uh, that's a lot. So I do see time as a resource. Time is a really valuable resource. And as you know, I'm about to turn 40 this year and like I just see time differently now. Like once you hit 40 or, you know, everybody has a different time, you know, age marker, but it's kind of like, ooh, <laughs> like this isn't a dress rehearsal. Like this, there's more, like this is a, yeah, this is life. Like this is it. This is all I got. Uh, and I want to, I want to give it all I got. And I could see maybe when I was younger, I didn't value time as much. And I do. I do more so now. And, you know, I still am someone who can find that I sink time into things that aren't valuable to me. But I, I found that the actual, like, cost of the body, bad body and dissatisfaction or bad body image led me to really channel a lot of my time into control, how I'm going to improve it. And really fix it. But I don't think there was like – it wasn't about fixing it, right? But that was what I felt. Like I had to fix my body. So I had to plan out the gym and get there and, you know, do the extra time in the gym. And 
I think I put more time into that than other things in my life that I could have, you know, spent with friends. Like my friends are so meaningful to me and like I can't even put a price tag on a friend, but it's like hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars for me. Like my friends are like so important. Like they really are there for me, right? Because family has been a harder issue for me. Like I don't have that like family's everything for me type of, and I, you know, people have that. I'm like, like, that's amazing. It just hasn't really been the cards that I got dealt. So I, friends to me are like invaluable. People that I can turn to that understand me on a deep level and are there for me are invaluable. Like I just, and, and, and they love me and it's not because they have to, it's just because they, they want to, and we have a common connection and, and, so I find that, you know, a big missed opportunity was in college. In college, I really missed out. I really missed out on friendships then because I was so obsessed with academics and my eating disorder. Like that was really that I channeled most of my energy into and surfing. So it was like, which would, the eating disorder kind of was woven into surfing. Like I was very obsessed. I have to be out there two hours a day, like rain or shine, like, like the worst conditions, like I was out there and it, it was, it was fueled by this, uh, it was an overcompensation. I never felt good in my body when I was surfing and surfing is another sport. Like there are some sports where it's more, I was looking at like my sports that I did play and they were like volleyball and surfing, which are very, the like uniforms are kind of interesting. Like in surfing will be like either you're in your bikini or you're in like a full neoprene wetsuit, which is very like form fitting. And volleyball has like spandex. So some of these sports that I was in, I think the body dissatisfaction would come in during the even sport I was in. So like I wasn't enjoying the actual sport when I was doing it because I was feeling that body dissatisfaction. Like I was fe- I was experiencing the shame or experiencing the comparison while doing the sport, while engaging in the activity. And so for me, I would say those were some – big costs was like the actual enjoyment of the activity that I was doing, which, and the connections with people that I could have and the time, the time that I will never get back, uh, that could have been invested in reading, just enjoying life, hanging out with people in an unstructured way. Uh, I, I tend to have that more of that social anxiety where it's like, I needed to understand what was happening with the social event or, Andrea, alcohol, which would then just like lead to a whole bunch of chaos, you know, and like shame the next day. So it wasn't like, but it, you know, I wouldn't just have that like spontaneous, like, let's just go hang out because I want to just chill. It's like, uh, I don't want to just chill. I want to try to like control my body and, you know, like engage in behaviors. Yeah. And I remember there was one specific event that will always stand out to me. Because like I said, there's hard to put a price tag on some of these things. But this this feels like this was like a mega thousands dollar like, um, There was a family that was so good to me uh, when I was at UCSD. And they're still in, like, I call them my surrogate family. And, and they, they just really took me in. And I was their daughter's babysitter. I was the dog sitter. And they have just been so there for me, uh, especially during that time. And I And the eating disorder really their daughter anyways there's like a longer story there but they when their daughter turned 13 she had a bat mitzvah and i had that day of the bat mitzvah i was really at the one of the the worst peaks of my eating disorder i mean think there's like a few really bad or troughs i guess uh like when it was really bad and low 
And I felt just so disgusting in my body that day. And I, I just didn't want to go. And it was a very selfish decision because I didn't feel like I looked good and like it was just going to be, I was just going to be gross and like I didn't want people to see me. And I, I didn't go. I didn't show, I didn't show up for the event. And also there was a part of my mind saying it didn't matter. Like no one cared if I wasn't there. So, so that's another part. It wasn't just like, you know, I don't matter. Like it doesn't matter. No one's going to care if I'm there or not. Like that was the, the logic. Well, it turns out I was at the head seat of the table. So like this is like if you have like, you know, like this is oh. a big deal for her 13 year old. Like, and I'm like seated at the head seat of the table and like I'm missing, not there. Like they did care about me. I was like one of their honorary guests, right? To be on like the head seat of the table. Like what? And just to be like, why didn't I go? Like literally why didn't I go? Because I had binge purge episodes all day that day and was just so dehydrated and just felt like shit. Like that's why I didn't go. What? That's body dissatisfaction. And everything to do with just me not feeling good enough in my skin and these behaviors that were a result of that. Uh, once again, I also had a lot of self-harm issues, Andrea, with just like really doing these behaviors that took it to a very intense and aggressive level. And that that one will always like weigh on my heart because I can never make that up. Like I, she's never going to have another one of those, you know, and I can never go back to that event in that moment. And of course, I give myself compassion, but I do see that as like that's a cost is I could have, you know, I could have made a decision to show up and be there for her, right? Just be there for that moment, that event. So, th so those were mine. Just enjoyment of meaningful moments too. There's so many more that I can, you know, link into around just special moments, special times where I, I was more in internalized into my own like issues than enjoying the the people around me. Yeah. Oh, this is a heavy section. This is sad. Wow. Um. I think it's good that you have compassion for yourself and you're struggling with an eating disorder, a mental illness, but also I understand how that is a cost as well. And I like when you were talking about volleyball or what you said just now, like you're just you can't fully be in an activity because you're so aware of your body. Like I lived that like even just like sitting alone in a room at the peak of my body and with struggles. I'm just so aware of my body or anything just moving around the house or going for a drive or whatever I'm doing, it's like just so aware of my body. How is it moving? How can people be perceiving it? Like, and just hating yourself every second. It's mm -hmm. like, it's always there. It's always part of something taking away from the full experiences that you could have or from experiences altogether sometimes. Yeah. Because it doesn't matter. I mean, what I've, what I've recognized is like we think people are judging us. We think people are looking at us, but they're like sitting there thinking people are judging them. You know, like and you are so loved and not judged. They made you the head of the table, and you're over there thinking you're not even worthy of attending. And it's yeah. like that just shows. It, it goes to show that you're loved for who you are, not your body or your appearance. Mm hmm. And. You know, I think when we're looking at body dissatisfaction, we can, at least the way that I would see it is like, it would be such a narrow, there's always just like focus on like, you know, trying to get a certain weight or like lowering it or just like, and it, it, it was always such a small, like narrow way of looking at something. Like there's such a bigger picture I want to say, but it was like, I would be like so focused, right? Like instead of seeing like the bigger picture, I'd be so just like tunnel vision 
And I missed out on so much with that. Like it doesn't matter if you're trying to run harder, run faster to like what for this like little like narrow vision of like what you think mm -hmm. you need in order to be to be good enough, right? To be to be loved, to be accepted. Um, yeah. Doesn't matter. No. It's not who you are. You are not your body. <laughs> You're not your body. No. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was the, any other ones we want to add here? I think there's a lot of the cost of missed opportunities, but it sounds like a lot of like social connection, which once again, you can't really put a price on, but yeah, when people get to the end of their life, that's what matters most to them is the social connections, the people that they love, the people that were there for them or that they, you know, their family, their friends. So investing in, in these connections and connection, investing in connection is actually a really good investment. Yeah. And if we're going to go career, I could maybe put a number on that. <laughs> if oh, we're trying yeah. to think of maybe like I'll, I'll throw, I don't know, $100,000 in lost salary <laughs> because I, I did not work like for a while. Mm -hmm. So because of these struggles. Big time. Uh, and then the last section we have is the cost of keeping up. And so this was kind of the idea of keeping up with beauty standards and beauty ideals and trying to, you know, uh, buy all the products and do all the things. And we are tailoring this section more towards women because uh, women really are the number one business opportunity. Uh, women, there is even this thing called the pink tax where women are charged more for ex similar products. And Andrew actually dug up some interesting things. Like, you know, I'm looking at a picture here of a little him and hers personal care kit. Exact, 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 exact same kit. And it's $1.50 more for a woman in pink. Like, exact same things. $1.50 more for the woman. Uh, and, you know, $1.50 sounds like a marginal cost like or, or difference. But if you add that up over product over product, uh, even like calculators, women... <laughs> or more or earplugs women's earplugs are more like it's everything i have you know shaving cream and that starts to add up where we don't even see that cost and these these things are like so marginal that you don't you're not aware of them until you recognize that women are you know spending andrea what's one of the stats that we had here around more uh yeah compared to men compared um, to men so women are spending more on average. The pink ta uh, the pink tax costs women an average of $1,300 annually. This is from the general manager of inclusive investing from JP Morgan. Uh, so yeah, $1,300 annually for for the pink tax. And now it's starting to be outlawed. Can you, can you talk about that? I thought that was interesting. They're starting yeah. to outlaw pink tax in some states. Yeah, well, we can talk about the price difference and it does add up. Above all, it's like, I'm pissed off about the principle of the matter. Like it's just ridiculous, and, and there women are earn some less. States, yeah, and, uh, earn less overall. Overall, not like there are high earning women, but like overall, women earn less. So earn less, make, charge them more. What? And then make them feel not good enough in their body because you just do all these schmear campaigns of like. There's something here. <sighs> We're on to something. We are, and thankfully, some states have recognized. The, that this is discriminatory and it's ridiculous. So New York State actually passed a law 
that explicitly outlaws the pink tax and price discrimination based on gender. Um, Same thing in California. They passed a law this uh, past year, 2023. And specifically in Miami, I don't know how to say it, Miami-Dade.a, I don't know, Uh, Miami area, Florida, their uh, regional county passed a law about this back in 1997 so this has been on the radar for a while yeah i know and there's like new york and california are leading the way so hopefully there's more to come um it's just it's absurd for to have two goods that are like the same thing and to mark it up even 50 cents sometimes it could it can be low but just to mark it up for a woman is ridiculous and it is discriminatory and i'm i'm grateful that some some places are outlawing this. I hope it continues. And honestly, a lot of the time, I just buy the cheaper men's one. Like, I don't care. Like, I'll, I'll buy a men's razor. It's the same thing. It's just a hunk of plastic holding some blades. Why am I going to pay $5 more for the other one? Like, uh, so that's how I'm combating it now. Laws are helping. But yeah, it's just, it's absurd and it's unfair and it, and it adds up. The costs add up. Mm-hmm. And then there's even like the keeping up with you know, like, so women, what are common things that women, they say they spend money on is like facials, haircuts, makeup, manicures, pedicures, gym yeah. memberships. Injections uh, are a big one these days too. Injections, yeah. yeah. Botox, like our um, lip fillers Lips, too. Yeah. And uh, eyelashes, right? Like I noticed mm-hmm. a lot of people wearing those eyelashes. Like that starts to become really expensive. Women getting their hair dyed, right? Like because ageism, that starts to become something that men tend to not do as much. Like we're not trying to be like, you know, anti-men in this, but just showing that there is a, this big uh, discrepancy between the two. And mm-hmm. what happens with that is that if you're not investing that money, or you're not putting that money, it starts, you're investing it in your beauty. Well, as we age, then that feels like the beauty is now this like, stock that's not giving as high of a return because you're you know you're fighting against age let's just say and like what's going to win age right so we Mm want to learn how do we like age gracefully as opposed to thinking that all these things are going to save us from from that right that or to cover up or to perfect or to uh, diminish and and no judgment if these are any of the things that you spend money on like at all but just to draw awareness to there is a cost to keeping up and we want to look at like what the objectification of women, how this how this drives it. That what are women held to be, you know, and this is looked at as objects, as beauty objects, as sexual objects, and the subjectification and having to look a certain way to feel like you are attractive is uh, is really sad. Is a huge double standard with men. Like yeah. all these things that we just listed, like we're talking about cosmetic procedures, makeup, eyelashes, hair dyeing. Think of all the women in your life. How many of them um, feel like they have to keep up with these things? Probably most of them. Think of all the men in your life. How many men do you know that feel like they have to wear makeup or get eyelash extensions or injections? Probably a lot less compared to women. There's a huge societal double standard that makes women feel like they have to do these things. They have to be acceptable or look younger men are allowed to age and get wrinkles women no you got to get injections men are allowed to have gray silver fox hair women no you dye that you cover it up like it's another thing it pisses me off it's a double standard for men versus women 
And then men can invest that money and make, you know, 5% returns. Yeah. On, like, oh my God. And women that there's, are not investing that money and they're getting like, it's it just serves oppression. There's num- We have numbers around that from the JP Morgan article. Um, they found that if the same amount that women spend on the pink tax were invested into a retirement fund each year, it would amount to $16,000 over 10 years and nearly 160000 over a 40-year work life. So that's exactly what you're saying. If you take the money that you're spending on a pink tax and invest it in your future, it's you're missing out on $160,000. There's another cost. Mm-hmm. And men don't have to do that. They have that $160,000 in 40 years. <laughs> Well, and that's something we do go deeper into in Beyond Body. We have like a whole – the way the the program works is that we, we really look into – because what do you do about this now? You know, like – because, yes, we're, we have this knowledge, but then there really has to be this inside-out change of being able to draw acceptance to it. But then there is a way for you to, to work with this so you can save on some of these costs or make them more intentional so you really understand the, the price of it, the, you know, and what it is costing you in the long run and – be aware of that uh, yeah. and make that decision. It can help you with... identify what you really want to do versus what you feel like you should do. Mm-hmm. That can be helpful as well. Yeah, it's values. So it's starting to see like, yeah. you know, I like, are, is this is this towards your values? So like if you value healing, then spending money on your on your treatment, spending money on your care, like, yes, because that's healing you, right? Like I spend so much money on education and healing, like, because that's what that's my passion and I love it and I love to help others through it. So therefore I need to, you know, be able to get the right education for myself so I can pass it on. So that's something I value. So I will always value that. And but if you look at my beauty thing, I I use soap, I use witch hazel toner and like a like a essential oil thing. I'm very minimal on that. Very minimal. Always have been. And so I don't spend a lot of money in that department, right? Uh, but everybody's different. Some people may love all their little like tonics and tinctures and And for some people, and- like I was telling you before, I was explaining to Jessica how I didn't wear makeup for 10 years and I still don't like 95% of the time. The only reason I got makeup was for my wedding <laughs> um, this past May. And I was like, if there's a, an occasion I'm going to wear makeup again, I guess I'll do it for this. And I've kind of been putting it on here and there, um, reevaluating my relationship with it. But there's some people who are like makeup. Like I know for me in the past and a big reason why I stopped wearing makeup altogether was like I felt like I had to. I felt like um, it wasn't accept- acceptable to present my face as it is all natural um, which is again more common with women than it is with men. But part of my body image healing journey was to be like, "F that," and that that was my path. Not everyone has to do that, but breaking free from that brought me a lot of freedom um, and helped me find more peace with my body. And uh, what was I going to say with this? Oh yeah. Um, so it's different for everyone. Like I know, like there's yeah people for me where it's like it felt like it was something I had to do. It wasn't really necessarily something good for me or my mental health or my values. And for some people, it can be a really fun expression of creativity. Like it's not yeah. coming from a place of self hate or obligation. It's just it's fun. And I feel that way. Like I. I have my nails painted almost all the time and it's not because I feel like I have to like a woman should do this or I'm, I'm too my nails are or my hands aren't good enough if I don't have them it's just like it's really fun I love creating different color schemes and designs and stickers like it's just creative expression for me so there's do- totally different places that you can come from this as well and yeah no you're not wrong if you do care about these things or you are interested in them it's just find out what your values really are 
Yeah, and there's so many flavors to femininity. Like I, you know, I do love uh, clothes and like earrings and things like that. And I cherish the ones that I have for a long time. So I like keep them for like many years, you know, and I, I value them. Uh, but yeah, there's just finding your connection with that the feminine and your way to feel your beauty, right? We can feel our beauty in so many yeah. different ways. We don't need to feel our beauty through one one specific thing. It doesn't have to be makeup. It could be nails. I mean, it could be anything that we, that yeah. how you connect. It could to be your going all natural. <laughs> it could be going all natural. That could yeah. that could be more an expression of your of your beauty, right? So yeah, um, yeah, that's something that I am really interested in right now. And what we will be shaping into the Beyond Body program is like how to connect with your beauty, but yeah, finding that, that unique flavor of beauty that is, you know, inherently yours and allowing that essence to be a part of your day, your life, and, and not be deterred by the outer beauty ideal. There's no one standard that we need to fit into. And remember, women feel that more than men. Just think of that double standard. That gets me going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But then there's just like a way like how can you hold that space while still like having love and respect and honor for the masculine, right? So that's like the work that I've been doing instead of being like, ah, you know, so it's like both. It's like, ah, and then like, but not all men. Like it's like they didn't ask for this either, right? Like not all men are like asked to be put into this position of of these double standards yeah i'm just more talking about the societal feelings no i know i know yeah <laughs> yeah exactly it's but it's like but there is like this thing where it's men can feel like oh, attacked by it as well like i didn't like this isn't i didn't create this uh and so yeah it's like the bigger the bigger societal aspect of it the bigger framework that we're all plugged into yes well your body is a powerful and amazing instrument and its job really is to carry you through this world and help you experience life and we are excited that you're here with us on this mini series. We you know, ask you to come join us on the path to body freedom and learn what it means to fully live in your body, regardless of your shape, your size, or the number on the scale. And if you are interested in really doing this work on a deeper level and really going like in depth on this, go to recoverywarriors.com slash beyond to request an invite to apply for Beyond Body. This is our six-month body image accelerator program for middle-aged professional women with a history of an eating disorder who really want to find peace with their body and experience greater life fulfillment as you age. So it's been a pleasure having you here, and thank you so much.